0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. To the
0: highway, in a brand new
1: day, gotta let it go, so fight. The a- Fast to to down, down. 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 I'm me- in
2: Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch episode 28 covering Freedom Fight 2011 from B.B. King's Blues Bar and Grill from Manhattan, New York from November 13th, 2011. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find our podcast on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, all donations would be certainly we'd certainly appreciate it but it's not at all uh, required click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our red circle page you click the red button and you can do a single donation or a reoccurring one and i'd like to take a moment to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of our hosts it is your old pal iron mike spears join alongside as always case low in case it's been a slog at some times It's been very, very long. I feel like I could be absolutist about it, but we finally have watched and are prepared to review the final show of 2011 for Dragon Gate USA. It's all downhill from here in more ways than one. This was the busiest year in the promotions history. It was the most confounding year in the promotions history, but case, we got through it together. We are through 2011. After this show, there will be only 22 episodes of reviews left. That means we'll End the show on a nice round episode fifty.
0: Mike, I would hope that people donate to the show because we got to watch this main event, and <laughs> uh, that there needs to be some form of compensation there. I think, I think because we we had rumored doing an evolve show at some point, but I think because we are going to end on fifty episodes. We'll just cover that Evolve show in depth, but that that is not going to get its own episode. We're doing the 50 Drangit USA shows and a wrap-up show, putting a bow on the entire thing. But I like it that we are are moving towards a much different era in the promotion as we have now, after the show, gotten through the busiest year, arguably the most newsworthy year, in the promotion's history, and we are ending with one of the strangest shows in the company's history.
2: Yeah, just just to get a sense of how insane of a year this was for Dragon Gate USA. It, we started the year with United New York City, and that was it, their first ever show at BB Kings. We were ending it here. People who are on that show who are no longer with us in the promotion, John Moxley, uh, Jigsaw, Jimmy Jacobs, uh, Austin Aries, and many more. So, in case, with how things have been in 2011 with Dragon Gate USA, I know we do not have many notes about Dragon USA proper going into their finale for 2011, but take me through the timeline for this show. I know that we have a lot of stuff. We have some Dragon Gate stuff. We have some other stuff around Japan. We have some stuff in the U.S. indies to talk about.
0: Yeah, so as I've kind of talked about the past two episodes, the Dragon Gate USA Newswire for these three shows, this triple shot to end the year, very sparse. Just not not a ton going on there. I'm assuming Gabe was happy enough with the – early run on attendance that he didn't feel the need to push the show as Gabe typically would. So there was nothing from the newswire today. I know two weeks ago we talked about what was going on in Japan, the Akira Tozawa versus Masaki Mochizuki Dreamgate match and everything leading up to this second week of November, Dragon Gate USA triple shot last week was some us indie stuff. We talked about CZW AIW, a Chikara show. We're going to bounce around the globe here. We've got some Japan notes. We've got some us indie notes before the show. And then after we talk about Freedom Fight, we will close out the year in Dragon Gate proper in Japan, 2011. So some stuff before the show, some stuff after the show. And we start with the October 7th, Mill Masquerous 40th anniversary of Coming to Japan. uh, Anniversary show that happened in Cork and Hall. What is notable here, yes, it is a show... That featured the likes of Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Wrestling Kikutaru, uh, Jinichiro Tenru, Jinsei Shinzaki, and Great Sasuke, teamed against El Samurai, Kensuke Sasaki, and Prince Devitt. But the, the meat of this show, the main event, Dos Karas, First Tiger Mask, and Mil Maskress defeated the team of Tiger Mask 4, Ultimo Guerrero, and Shima... And in the October 17th, 2011, Wrestling Observer newsletter, Dave says a celebration of the 40th anniversary of Mel first tour of Japan show took place in Corkin Hall before uh, 1,250 fans. In a double main event, Mascaris and Dos Caras, an original Tiger Mask, beat Ultimo, uh, Ultimo Guerrero, Shima, and Tiger Mask. Would Mascaris pin Guerrero in 1713 with a flying body press? This would be the equivalent of very literally. Bruno Sammartino being brought back to the WWF this week in a trios match and pinning Randy Orton clean. Mike, have you seen this show before? I do not have any recollection of this.
2: No, I have not seen this show. I'm looking at the card right now. This is a wild-ass card. I'm willing to guess that this was a a show that was helped, produced by Nassau Rangai. He loves having old luchadores over on his shows and having a young up-and-comer's job to it. It has a single uh, rating on cage match of a four. Uh, other people on the show, uh, we have uh, uh, Black Tiger, Sasuke the Great, and Yu Yamagata defeating Gran Hamada, Nisawa Rongai, and Takamichinoku. This is a here's a pretty wild tag match: Senshiro Takagi and Yuzuki Aikawa defeating Mayu Iwatani and Passion Naki. Uh, you you probably don't know of Yuzuki Aikawa, but she is the first ever like ace of stardom so defeating mayu Atani, who now is kind of the eternal ace of stardom and yeah like ultimo guerrero in 2011 like having that fall that's insane because ultimo guerrero is arguably at like his working peak then this was like during the i believe this was during the big tag team he had of rey bucanero so that is a wild thing and i don't think dave is off the point there with what he said about that match
0: There's truly uh, nothing Nozawa loves more than being domed by old luchadors. It is his favorite thing, and I do respect him for that. But when it comes to weird tag team matches, Mike, we have to look at New Japan at the end of 2011, October 22nd through November 6th, the G1 Tag League 2011. And Mike, why do we mention this?
2: Well, we mention this because we have a team from War teaming up as it is it is of course tomohiro Ishii teaming up with someone who i think maybe had like a little bit of training in the war but he got the majority of it he did work for war and don fuji it was the tenryu preview show attack <laughs> tag team in a lot of ways
0: yeah, so Fuji and Ishii team together in the 2011 G1 Tag League. It is a real shame they are not running this back in 2020, or at least we don't know if they are, but I've got to guess oh, they're Oh, be still my
2: heart if that was the case. Oh, oh my geez. God, could you
0: imagine? Because, look, 2011 New Japan is just not the same. Their B-block matches... Uh, they wrestle Hideo Saito, who was Bone Soldier. They wrestled Bone Soldier and Takashi Azuka in Cork and Hall in their opening match that ended in a DQ, by the way, after 10 minutes. Uh, they also wrestled Shinsuke Nakamura and Toruano. Hiroshi Tenzan and Wataru Inoue, Hiroki Goto and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Now, that match I would like to see. Goto and Tanahashi versus 2020 Fuji and Ishii signed Me Up, and Satoshi Kojima and Togi Makabe defeating Fuji and Ishii in the final match of block play. They ended the tournament. Uh, Cork and Hull, November 6, 2011. They wrestled in the opener. It was Hideo Sato, Takashi Azuka, and Tomohiro Ishii teaming with Don Fuji to defeat... Hiromu Takahashi, King Fale, Kiyosuko Mikami, and Takaki Watanabe. What an opener. And just for historical purposes, the finals of the G1 Tag League that year. Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki, defeating bad intentions of Giant Bernard and Carl Anderson. But Mike, what about that cork and hall opener? That sounds better than any of their block matches.
2: I mean, I kind of want to see them against Kojima and, uh, and Makabe. That would be interesting. Especially 2011 Makabe. You know, let, let, like let's put it in context there. Like this isn't only going to do three bumps and is more interested in talking about sweeps on Japanese variety television, Toki But yeah, no, that that opening match, it's wild considering who that all is as a uh, young lines there. You have like the future. It, it, it's just insane. Like the people that are there. And that also makes you think about how long it takes for new Japan to get people going considering who was on that undercard in 2011.
0: Yeah. It's Hiromu, Fale, El Desperado and evil. So, you know, three of those wrestlers have really improved since then. And then there's evil. So we've got that to deal with on the New the, Japan the, side the of only things. Time,
2: the only time that, uh, that Fale has been compared uh, positively to someone in 2020.
0: Uh, the only time. The only time it will happen. And as we go forward within the, the 2012 and 2013 shows, there'll be a little bit more New Japan coverage because they tend to matter in the wrestling landscape a little bit more. But we are going to go to a show that took place a little bit after Freedom Fight 2011. Actually, a full month after, December 23rd, 2011, from the Hammerstein Ballroom. It is Ring of Honor, Final Battle 2011, on a show... Uh, Mike, what do you remember about this show? Does anything jump to your mind when it comes to, you know, all the final battles, all the great matches? What about Final Battle 2011?
2: Well, Dan Severns there. I mean, and,
0: th- and that makes it worth
2: buying a ticket, my friend. I mean guy who just comes out there i mean and former nwa world heavy world's heavyweight champion dan Severin, just absolute unit Russell's in a sweat crew neck sweatshirt with no sleeves like i'm thinking about the uh i'm thinking about the lions then i'm thinking about the basement match like it is it's like such a wild thing uh it, it's it's an interesting show and of course most importantly the main event we we have our good friend close friend of the show Talk cutting a promo on his ex wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm before, not re-
0: <laughs> before we get to uh Davey owning his ex wife, uh, it, verbally, of course, uh, the full card. Michael Elgin defeated TJ Perkins. What a funny match nine years later. Uh, Just pure joy with Elgin and TJP in the same ring. Tommaso Ciampa of the Embassy defeated Jimmy Rave, formerly of the Embassy. There's a three-way title match for the ROH TV title with Jay Lethal retaining over Mike Bennett. And El Generico, someone who we will start hearing a lot more about at future shows. No DQ match with Jimmy Jacobs as the special guest referee. Kevin Steen defeated Steve Carino and worked his way back into Ring of Honor through that match. There is an ROH World Tag Team Title number 1 Contendership Tag Team Gauntlet with the Young Bucks fresh off of their TNA run, defeating uh, the CNC Wrestle Factory. Future Shock, the All Night Express, and the Bravado Brothers. Mike, is there a more 2011-sounding match than that?
2: I, I mean, that is really the state of the ROH Tag Team Division right there. <laughs> <laughs> l- l- like, uh, like, let's call a space. space spade. The ROH Tag Team Division has been dirt a lot <laughs> throughout its existence. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 because those are your 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 new number one contenders and then one through five, and then you have a match later on that, wow, yeah. Was the, re- I, I'm not going to say that I was going to say, was the ring of honor tag team division ever really good, but yes, it was. Yeah. But this no, is there, not there was a f- short time there. Yeah. 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 But this is real, real statement of the division right there. Looking at those teams. I mean, I, I'm certain that there is a universe that the CNC wrestle factory still exists.
0: Oh God. Yeah. No, if you talk, uh, that's like, uh, Cedric could be released tomorrow and realistically should go on to do great things in AEW. We could tour new Japan. It would be this incredible force. Really, he's just gonna team with Caprice again. Like the CNC Wrestle Factory will never die. One of the best tag team <laughs> names of all time.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Caprice Coleman. What a guy. I, res- respect I Really him
0: a lot. respect him. Really has churned out quite the career. More power to him. Also on the show, the final three matches. Roderick Strong defeated Chris Hero. I believe this was an open challenge match. People thought Hero uh, would have been reporting to FCW at the time. Instead, Hero worked this show. And then Hero also worked a show at the beginning of 2011 for Ring of Honor, uh, the Homecoming 2012 show in which he wrestled and lost to Michael Elgin on a show that I'm looking at the card now. Hollow Wicked and Jigsaw defeat the Briscoe brothers. How about that? Which brings us to the world tag team title match where the Briscoe brothers defeated the world's greatest tag team for the ROH tag belts. And then your main event, 41 minutes and a suplex, uh, a superplex gift later, Davey Richards defeats Eddie Edwards with Dan Severn by his side.
2: I I mean, I did it. I I did it all. We've been through a lot together. Fucking Jen. (laughs) Like a lot of people remember that suplex. I remember that promo.
0: Uh, dude, Davey's so awesome. I, uh, God, I wish he was still in it, USA. That is really an alternate timeline that I would like to explore because realistically, we're probably looking at Davey Richards versus Johnny Gargano as the main event of this show, and well, I guess it's the semi-main event of this show, and it, it would have been incredible to see. That is the state of Ring of Honor as we head into 2012. There is one more promotion we need to talk about before Free to Fight 2011, and Mike. It is the promotion that is running this same night on Go Fight Live ipay view from the Asylum Arena in Philadelphia. It is Chikara High Noon, one of the most infamous shows in the promotion's history, with The Colony opening up the show defeating the Young Bucks, Sarah Del Rey defeating Jacob Hammermeyer, Green Ant defeating Tursas, Cole Cabana defeating Archibald Peck in what I'm sure was just a delightful match, Icarus defeats Gregory Iron, Hollow Wicked and Ultramantis Black, they defeat Eris and Tim Donst. In your main event, 12 large Summit final match, Eddie Kingston with Tommy Dreamer defeats Mike Quackenbush.
2: Yeah, and like the big note here is like this was the, uh, this was their first ever IPay-per-view. It was not only a success on ipay per beating the not Final Battle, but the ROH ipay per before that, and then just, like, shattering what I assume was DGUSA numbers, but also getting 864 people in the arena. So this was, like, the real banner moment in Chakara's history, and it's one of those things that it is something that still kind of is remarkable in a way that now we're starting to see other promotions go to iPay-Per-View other than DGUSA and Ring of Honor, and knocking it out of the park for the first show. Like, I remember this show pretty pretty well, and then, of course, like, the big thing about the main event and had, like, a one of those tremendous eddie kingston promos forehand talking about he's winning this title which was all based around larry sweeney's passing we've talked about that a couple months ago on the show and the fact that he was awarded the title by uh, larry sweeney's uh brother and girlfriend or like on again off again girlfriend and like how emotional of a moment that was and you know i mean for like the time period this was like such a big show and it's in a lot of ways kind of was the peak of chakara's relevance in my mind
0: Oh, this is uh, this is as big as it got for Chikara. You could make the rational argument of pro wrestling was logical that Eddie Kingston would have been thrown a contract for uh, an unlimited amount of money after the promo that he cut to build to this match. Uh, look, Eddie Kingston's doing all right now, and I'm someone that has often faded Eddie Kingston throughout his career, but the 12 large hype promo, one of the one of the greatest promos I've ever seen. I mean, it is really just a a special match and a special show and it is peak chakar and as we get into 2012 and especially 2013 and then towards the dying days in 2014 we will keep track of just the amount of promotions running internet pay-per-views the change in the i pay-per-view model and of course the frustrations with the i pay-per-view but for now mike i am ready to go to freedom fight 2011
2: I am as well. This was, of course, on November 13th from BB King's Blues Bar and Grill. The other, the only other thing that like really happened was uh, Chuck Taylor took the the Dragon Gate USA title to Easton, P- Pennsylvania for the show for Chikara the night before. He was not on that one, but that became a major storyline throughout the show here. As we open up with Blood Warriors backstage, they are cackling, trashing all their opponents. They're, but they're specifically having ricochet trash talk pack and it was just like a big thing of like all of them just getting together just cackling keelishly going oh yeah blood warriors is nominated this weekend they've actually had a really bad weekend at wins and losses <laughs> but it doesn't matter because ricochet is going to beat beat pack and akira tozawa and bb hulk are going to beat ronan ruining our scourge. they're not got to worry about it and then next year they're going to go back They already are the open the united gate champions but then they will have the open the freedom gate title coming out of this just kind of like a charming thing. I mean, they, they, having Brody Lee here kind of as like someone who was like cackling on the sidelines and not leading this promo is going to infinitely frustrate me. But I thought that this was a pretty kind of funny and lighthearted way to start to show with like your, your sniveling heels.
0: We got Shima to talk and we got Brody Lee to talk. And that is a winning combination for any promo.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then we had Johnny Gargano talking about the last night. He says it's three years of building to this. And he says... He's not the bonus match boy he was before, but he's going to be the Freedom Gate man. And you know, Johnny Gargano's promos, and I'll get into this a little bit later. I mean, it's effective. It, like he's an effective promo, like getting the points across here. But I don't think he's a great promo guy. So, or at least face promo guy. And this I feel like was like the first of like, oh yeah, we're we're entering this era of Johnny Gargano. This is going to be something for me to stomach.
0: It's it's a good promo. This is a good promo. My issue with this, and I guess we can talk about this now and then focus on the match when we get into it. It, this moment does not feel big enough because Gargano, like we've said all of 2011, as we've gone through these shows, he lost the United gate title tournament. He lost to Shima in a singles match. He lost their mercury rising six man. Even though he pinned, or I guess submitted, Shima and Austin Aries in this building, he still lost to Austin Aries in a singles match. He lost to Akira Tozawa in a singles match. And just two shows ago, he lost to Brody Lee and Shima in a tag team match. It is I have real mixed emotions on the build of this match because I think, in a bubble, they've done a really great job of elevating Gargano. But, in the grand scheme of things... This match did not feel as big as it should have.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess we could compare and contrast here. I feel like Chuck Taylor's video the night before was more effective building up someone to a title than the overly long and narrated videos by uh, Johnny Gargano. Like,
0: it's, Yeah, the, the Occupy Philly stuff was great. A, a week after that, now that it's really sat with me for a while, I really liked that promo.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, whereas, like, you could tell like, that was, like, the thing is, like, I guess we had to do something to build up Chuck Taylor for this match that he wasn't gonna win, but, like, building, like, and crowning the champion that will be the champion pretty much the remainder of this promotion, like, it did feel kind of, like, oh, okay, like, I knew this was gonna happen, I've watched this match many times, but, like, watching these videos for the first time in years, I was, like, oh, okay, like, it, it, it completion grade promo doing this complete, it's, like, the full completion grade is just you know as you said the booking and then my personal belief that johnny corgano is not a great face promo just kind of just detracts a little bit in my opinion
0: what about this bj whitmer promo that followed
2: uh well my notes were uh lenny is introducing the show and we get bj on immediately and he wants Brody lee now i mean bj promo guy should not even hit the microphone he should have just stormed the ring and say give me b give me Brody lee and that would have been more effective
0: yeah. Uh, as for the match, we open up the show. Of course, it's arguably the biggest Dragon at USA show of all time. And what do we open up with? Well, it's BJ Whitmer versus Brody Lee. That is just, that is the reality <laughs> we're living in. It's Look, it's not exactly BB Hulk versus Yamato. It's instead BJ Whitmer versus Brody Lee. And look, I thought this match was pretty good, all things considered. I, You know, BJ Whitmer, with the right opponent, it was not a bad wrestler. I mean, it, at times was a very good wrestler, I will say, I hate the Peruvian necktie. I'm glad that move did not catch up. What an awful-looking move. But before I get into the bigger point about Brody Lee, Mike, what do you think about this match?
2: I mean, I thought it was decent. Two and a half stars. Uh, Brody got the win of a second Liger Bomb in about seven minutes. Uh, The exact time was seven minutes and 37 seconds. A lot of dark brawling. A lot of brawling in the dark where they did not have lights. And that's a problem throughout the show. (laughs) Indeed it
0: is. But, Mike... I've said for the past two shows, I am reserving my thoughts on B.J. Whitmer for this show.
2: And look. Unload King. Unload King. It's your
0: time. Because what I'm about to say is not an indictment of B.J. Whitmer. I don't even really. I mean, look, when I have booked him, no, of course not. Strangate USA. B.J. Whitmer does not need to be on the shows. My issue is not B.J. Whitmer himself. My issue is that this is the final show that Brody Lee worked for the promotion he doesn't fly out to Los Angeles, and he signed before WrestleMania week in twenty twelve, and you don't book Brody versus Uha. What are you doing? Because. The, the the rash argument, Mikey, this might be what you're saying, is, hey, UHA Nation, he's coming in, he's going to be in Blood Warriors real soon, but he replaces Brody Lee in Blood Warriors. Right. At this point, he's unaffiliated, he has no ties to any unit in Japan. For them to not book Brody Lee versus UHA Nation on this show, with UHA going over, is so grossly irresponsible. And I, I waited, in my notes, I waited for the next match that UHA is in. I said, well, maybe, maybe they do an angle... Where Brody Lee and Uha stare face to face and they nope. build to a match that just doesn't happen because Mm-mm. Brody Brody is not signed by the next show. The open the Golden Gate show in LA at the start of 2012. According to the Wrestling Observer newsletter, Brody reports to FCW in early March. So again, before WrestleMania weekend, but after the Golden Gate show. So maybe they were building up to something there, but no, they weren't. Gabe spent Brody Lee's last weekend in the promotion booking him against B.J. Whitmer, and that did nothing for anybody. Could you? Have, they never paid off the angle in Chicago where Uha got the best of Brody Lee, and it's so frustrating because so much of Brody Lee's run in Drang at USA was just doing meaningless matches. Mike, he worked three different six-way phrase. He worked an open invitational elimination match in Indianapolis in the Midwest. You could make an argument that with the exception of the Blood Warriors versus Ronan and Yoshino match in this building at the second anniversary show where Brody Lee injured himself, he was never in a match of consequence. He was teaming with Akibono he was squashing Rich Swan, and Stalker Ichikawa and Chuck Taylor and Tony Nese. But those squash matches never went anywhere. And they finally had a chance to make it all pay off, to have a new monster come in, to get 2012 started with a new man to fear in the promotion. And they booked Brody Lee versus BJ Whitmer, who never shows up again.
2: And Case, I'm glad you did this because I had written on my whiteboard since I brought up initially, Cardinal Sen, yes.
0: What specifically? I mean, you could make the argument Bro- Brody Lee and the way they handled him as a Cardinal Sen, but not booking yep. him versus Uha on the final weekend is inexcusable. It's horrible. So two Cardinal sins.
2: okay. I, I, I like counting sins. I'm a big fan <laughs> of this. So I'm writing down my notes. Brody Lee in general, Cardinal Sen. I and really think Brody and, and no Uha.
0: I think it's obviously easy to say with nine years of hindsight and looking at what Brody Lee is currently doing at AEW, it's easy to say, oh well, they should have pushed him. But when you watch these shows He was displaying it there. Week after week. I mean, it the fact that it took him until twenty twelve to be signed to FCW is absurd. Because he can he can talk, he can move, and he's big. Yeah. And it really seemed like the Dragon Gate guys liked working with him. He fit into Blood Warriors. Why he didn't challenge Yamato for the Freedom Gate belt ever blows me away. On top of the fact that, like, I ranted about during the Atlanta show's WrestleMania weekend, how did they not give Mox his farewell against Brody Lee. Mike, could you imagine how effective that would have been if Moxley and Kamikaze were destroyed by Blood Warriors and Brody Lee in Atlanta, and then at the end of the year, UHA Nation, who was still a, a blue-chip prospect, I mean, relatively unknown. It's like a quarterback going to high school in North Dakota. Nobody knows about this guy until he shows up and starts destroying everybody, and they don't even give him the Brody Lee send-off. It's unbelievable.
2: And on top of all of this, Kamikaze USA would be dead by the time they had their next triple shot.
0: They completely like, had the out. It's it's because yeah. they tried to do like a double turn with Yamato and Tozawa turning against Mox and it just did not work. The, the plan, again, it should have been Shima Doi and Brody or Shima Ricochet Brody against Tozawa, Yamato, Mox and then do Blood Warriors versus Ronin on the next night And with, you know, Shima Doi Ricochet and do Brody versus Mox on the final show that Mox was on. It was... I hated Mox's farewell. It neglected so much of what he did right his entire time in the promotion. Brody Lee, on the other hand, was just wasted his entire time. And this is the end of Brody Lee and Mike. As we go along Golden Gate and then especially after Mania Weekend, we are saying goodbye to a lot of people that never come back. And we never get the proper send-off, they're not replacing this talent with new guys that can get over, it's Moxley disappearing, and now Brody Lee is suddenly the guy, and then UHA Nation shows up, but then Brody Lee disappears, and UHA Nation doesn't really get, you know, crowned as the guy, and we start seeing these problems that are going to unravel and become out of control in 2012 and 2013. It's just like the U.S. N D C scene now. So many guys left so quickly that... The pond became empty. All of a sudden, there were small fish in a small pond. Nobody was over, nobody was dominant. But it's inexcusable to not push Uha Nation over Brody Lee. It was inexcusable to not push Brody Lee over John Moxley. It was an entire year of missteps and errors of execution with Brody Lee. And this match, again, it's nothing against BJ Whitmer, but why was he in this match? Cuz this was a fine match. But it wasn't Brody versus Uha.
2: and you could argue that this became a, a time where Gabe lost his fastball, because right after two thousand nine, you had Davy Richards as a star. You had John Moxley who was going to be coming in as a star. You had the Young Bucks. All of them are gone before the end of WrestleMania, or three of those people will be gone by the end of WrestleMania week in twenty ten. The other one's gone by the end of WrestleMania week in 2011 he had the and I think and guys. I think you have
0: to include TJP in that list as well TJP. whether you like him or not TJP was going to be a star in this promotion or at least pushed as such and Gabe ran, out, ran him out of the promotion now look TJP I wouldn't want to deal with him either but all things considered the 2010 indie wrestling landscape TJP is headlining this promotion
2: yeah 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 no I mean I, I don't think you're wrong on this and then also you, you had someone like Brian Kendrick well like you had people that they were clearly had hopes on that were out pretty quickly but he already had next ups he was able to get he was able to get Chikara gun around for a while and then he was able to segue that into Ronin as like your major major American force there's not going to be that I mean you talked about the Bravado Brothers the Bravado Brothers will be out of Ring of Honor real soon and they will be big fixtures around here and you like you look at this and you're just like oh this is how you probably mismanage the most talented big man of this era and you just, like, look at this, and you, yes, hindsight, now we're looking at a show that's almost nine years old, but you can look back at, like, the whole arc of Brody Lee, and, I mean, for from a guy who's just coming in there and just beating up people for no good reason and, and wanting to fight someone from Japan to, like, the being the best microphone, the best native microphone worker in Blood Warriors to this, it's just completely deflating and, and an incredibly huge mismanagement, I would say.
0: It sucks. I don't like it's it. Su- after the match, Lenny Leonard said B.J. Whitmer won, which is the only time I've ever heard Lenny make a mistake like that. And so it was just, ugh, it was too much at once. I was so bummed coming out of this opener.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that happened. Then we went backstage for Yamato, where Yamato's mad because Chuck Taylor stole his belt, and he wants to take the belt back to Japan because he wants to, because he is the Open the Freedom Gate champion, and he thinks Chuck Taylor is a piece of trash. And they had it with translation, and it was you know yamato was like half promo in english half promo in japanese they should have done this all throughout the promotion
0: absolutely good little promo here i liked it
2: yep and then we had a next match where brody went on to commentary yet again most talented tall man in recent wrestling history where he said, where he was there to commentate a match that's real real full circle as as the match would be uha nation and now dark order member john silver versus the scene the scene would get the pin on john silver with the up scene in 10 minutes and 44 seconds and a really really fun fun tag match like this is like where they're using Uha here after we saw him get kind of exposed this was a perfect use of it and john silver stepped up and john silver was a perfectly competent member here that i hope sticks around a little bit
0: Yes, yeah, Silver worked Evolve Nine against Tony Nese in this building, and I don't remember that match specifically. I know we talked about it a few episodes ago, but I'm assuming he made a good enough impression on Gabe here to book him over Tony Nese, who was there was an NWYC, uh pre-show card before this. That Mike, I looked at the card and. Oh my god the names on that show the only one I knew was Tony Neese. I didn't even okay. bother putting it in the notes cuz it was it looked like such a disaster. But John Silver gets the opportunity here. He and Uha were a nice little hodgepodge team. Uha looked great. Uha looked uh, he there's a spot where the scene tries to whip him into the barricade like both of them Irish whipping him at the same time and Uha just counters and clotheslines them both and it's like oh my god like this guy is such a monster and is clearly starting to put it together and as we'd see at the start of 2012 he would he would really have the foundation that it was it was yanked away from him just all too soon such a bummer but yeah i you know it's it's a nice little match and brody leon commentary i was waiting for him to start some sort of angle with uha and it never happened and that's where i lost my mind and my notes
2: yep yeah, but brody good on color we there Excellent. are other people other people on the show who are on color that actively detracted from a match. But we'll get into that when we get into that. Yeah, no, I thought this was pretty solid. And I and I feel like this was a big step forward for Uha, especially after how he was kind of left exposed in the fray. Uh, we had a promo for the second anniversary DVD. Would you believe that the second anniversary show, which feels like months ago for us, was only five months before this? So Gabe's doing okay, I guess, on, pay, on DVD sales. And then we had a backstage with Ronan. Johnny was apologizing, saying like he had to do it, but he tells Chuck, you have to return the belt. You can't do that. Chuck says, yeah, I'll eventually return the belt. And then Rich Swann tries to play Peacemaker.
0: And that leads into what I thought was an excellent tag match between Ronan of Chuck Taylor and Rich Swan versus Blood Warriors of Mike, your team, B.B. Hulk and Akira Tozawa.
2: All right. <laughs> I, I can already tell by your voice that... I'm higher than you on this match. No,
0: no, 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 no. No, uh, go go ahead. Just I, I'll let you. I'll let you take this one.
2: This is a match that is insane. It's 15 minutes, 21 seconds. Uh, Swan got the pin on Akira Tozawa with a standing 450 splash. Uh, Darkside Hulk and Chuck Taylor have great chemistry, like insanely, like going like, okay, no, these two guys actually rock together. And of course, you already had Tozawa and Taylor and Swan playing off like the last few weeks, and then. I, I'm happy that I forgot that there was a Chuck and Swan, like little mini tag team run because I'm really stoked for them. Cause these two have great chemistry here. This match ruled. I absolutely loved it. And I know that this is full to his going on right here. But after like with how wrestling was in 2011, i want to pose this question to you guys. Okay. How with how wrestling was in 2011. I think the blow away best tag team was the Spike Mohicans. I think that's fair to say, at least yes. between the two of them Hulk and Akira. Has to be number two.
0: Yeah, because there's no Junction Three team that teams consistently enough and long enough. Because Pak and Dragon Kid have their big match, but then it goes to Dragon Kid and Yoshino, and there is just not. There's no consistency on the Junction Three side. And then if you look just around the wrestling world that year, as I quickly scramble for Tag Team of the Year and the Observer Awards, because, I mean, you got to remember, 2011 tag teams, it's a really young Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. It's the Briscoe brothers being excellent, but the Young Bucks are coming off of their TNA run now. The issue with the Observer voting is, look, tag team of the year was Giant Bernard and Carly Henderson. I I never got into their matches, but more power to them. Second place, I, I get is, it. Yeah. it I, makes I, sense I, for them. Yeah, I get it, but I don't like it. Uh, the Briscoe brothers are number two. Daisuke Sakamoto and Yuji Okobayashi are number three. 87 first place votes. Good for them. I love that tag team. I don't remember 2011 specifically being like a dynamite year for them, but more power to them. And then from there you go into world's greatest tag team, Young Bucks, Apollo fifty five, and then Shima and Ricochet rounding out the top ten. It's uh, Bobby Roode and James Storm, Kofi Kingston and Evan Bourne, and Manabu Soya and Sanada.
2: So this is a personal assault against me, is what you're saying? <laughs> That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Look,
0: look, Mike, I'm not voting Beer Money ahead of Hulk and Tozawa, and I like Beer Money, uh, but I'm not. I'm not the one saying that. So you can't shoot the messenger. You just oh, kind of oh, no, have yeah. to. You just kind of have to deal with it, Mike.
2: Oh, no, you are not the person who's wronging me here. But just in general, y'all failed. Y'all failed. Because this match owned so much. I want four and a half stars. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, like, I was, like, watching this match because I watched this this show split. I watched everything up until the uh, Freedom Gate match uh, last night. And then I watched the rest of this over my lunch break. Uh, This match, oh, God. It's... It, it scratches on my particular itch, and I know I'm entirely high on this match, and I know that it's something that you're probably like, "This is a good, solid match." Three and three quarter stars. No, this is four and a half stars for Mike Spears. This is my thing. This ruled. There was an open the back rake gate joke by, uh, by by Lenny and uh, Brody. This is one of those matches that, if, if you were a tag team wrestler and you were to watch the show, check out this match because it was really awesomely worked. I absolutely loved it.
0: I'm looking at feud of the year here, and it says that the eighth best feud of 2011 was Sonata in Soya versus Sekimoto and Okabayashi. I'm sure I've seen those matches, but I don't, I don't remember them being that great. So I know Alan Forell is probably listening to the show in February 2022. So Alan, I, I apologize for not remembering that era of Strong BJ. Uh, Mike, three and three quarters. Uh, you nailed. How good my- am I? <laughs> but look, I I loved this match. It's funny that you gravitated towards. Uh, Hulk and Chuck Taylor, because I was once again, specifically the individual of Rich Swan, but Swan and Tozawa back to back nights just killed it. And this is a 15 minute match, and what it got going, it went. I mean, when they turned it up, this became a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal undercard tag match. And I am, you know, for as frustrated as I am with the booking of Brody Lee, I thought a lot of John Moxley's run was mismanaged. Just the lack of respect given to Rich Swan really fascinates me because he's a guy that you know was was buried on some of these shows was was jobbed out, and you look at his talent, especially after June when he became a full time Dragon Gate roster member. I mean, he's unbelievable in this match, and it's you know we never really get the Chuck Taylor Rich Swan tag run that we really needed to get. I don't think they team again in this promotion, which is a travesty. I mean, how you're not going into WrestleMania weekend with the idea of Swan and Taylor gunning for these belts, I do not know, but they team. They they teamed here. They teamed against the scene in Milwaukee, and I like that match quite a bit. They will team on Evolve 10, a tribute to the arena, and then from there, we <laughs> get into another era of booking when it comes to Chuck Taylor, so this is the end of the run, and obviously WrestleMania weekend 2012 is plagued by injuries. And we'll talk about that when we get to it, but I don't believe the original plan was Taylor and Swan headlining uh, for a United gate title match. And I think that's a huge mistake.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And just to give a sense of like how big of an upset this is in overall dragon gate booking. uh, We talked about, I think it was before the shows in September about how summer venture tag Lee 2011 was the Hulk and Akira show where they just stormed through the competition. First off, defeating one of the old school tag teams and Araiwa, then defeating Kagetor and Shisa, defeating kid and Yoshino, and then defeating Masaki Mochizuki Yamato. This tag team, even though they were not the people in their unit with the tag tag team belts, that will come soon. This tag team was like utterly dominant in a way that was remarkable. So huge upset. And, you know, and right afterwards, blood warriors being mad. They attacked post match. Uh, Gargano and Yoshino make the save, and that leads us right into the next match: Shima versus Masato Yoshino. Uh, Masato Yoshino would win this match in 20 minutes and 9 seconds with the very rare Soul Nasciente Kai.
0: I should note during that Blood Warrior attack, Brody Lee left the commentary table to run in, and I was like, "Oh my God, great! Uha Nation will make the save." And Mike, that did not happen.
2: I mean, yet again. Yet so again, they
0: had, they had so many opportunities on this show alone to do it, and they didn't do it. But Mike, this Shima versus Yoshino match. Oh my god, I love this. We're, we're just off the bat star rating. Where are you at for this?
2: Four stars flat. As am I. Yeah. It is. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, I will I will say this. Look, this is at a point in time where Masato Yoshino clearly does not want to be working these shows, but he is. He's worked every Gate USA show up to this point besides Open the Southern Gate, and Shima has been on all the shows, obviously. This is such a unique match where they put forth max effort without doing a main event style match. And I think just the way Gate Japan is booked, this is a style of match that you really don't see. Like, just the booking and the lack of singles matches do not permit matches like this to take place. But this is like a prime zone match on steroids because it's, it's grappling-based, and Shima and Yoshino just get to do a lot of things that, you know, although the match went 20 minutes, if they're in a singles match in Japan, it's probably going 30 minutes. So they just, they had a chance to experiment with one another... And it was just so interesting. There was no match that we've seen so far during this project that really feels like this because it, it felt like two guys working smarter, not harder. And I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan for Flat.
2: Yeah, and it's not... And there is-
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, Off. again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for ten percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voice of wrestling podcast network
2: It's a, a time time in this match where they kick it up a notch like oh, this absolutely. isn't like like this isn't like a twenty minute mat work special But this is something where, like, I think they realized the kind of match that happened, so they started off pretty slow. And a lot of really brutal arm work that uh, Yoshino did, and this actually might be one of Shima's best, like, technical displays. Because, like, selling the arm, selling the arm. And then, I do have this written in my notes. Uh, I could totally get why Yoshino was done with going to America with this match, getting kicked really hard in the stomach. Like, like there's a moment where, like, Shima doesn't pull a kick and boots him right in the stomach, so I think Shima's a little pissed about the arm work a little bit. And then, it had, like, such a great sprint finish with, like, one of the grossest-looking lightning spirals that got, that got a uh, two-count. And this is another thing. Brody Lee was, like, openly, like, going for his guy. Like, Shima, no, Shima, no. And then as soon as, like, he locked in and he hooked the leg for the Kai, the, the Sol Nassi Kai, you, you felt, like, this deflation of him. He's like, why isn't anyone out here? I can't leave the, this, thing, this agent. And it's just, like, very awesome heel commentator awareness of, you were just out there. You could come out there and do this if you really want to, but you're not going to, but you're gonna blame it on everyone else. And I thought that this was truly an exceptional match. And I thought that this was something that, you know, it started off very slow and it's something that I mean it really played into it. It's a match that cannot ever happen now, but I'd be very interested to see if this match would happen in a context of like a WrestleMania weekend match. I feel like on a blood sport show. Because I feel like that'd be very interesting.
0: That's that's what it's closer to. I mean, it's it's not quite the same base as T2P, but it feels like an evolution of a T2P match. And it's you know it's got Yoshino right. in it, so it makes sense. It's just a really different kind of match that I wish we had a whole portfolio of Shimo working this style, because I think he excels at it. And it's just a real bummer that we never get to see it all that often, with the exception of the super gimmicky, super Shisa matches, which were great, but those were like seven-minute matches. This was 20 minutes and felt like a big-time match. It was just worked in a different style than what we normally see.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then after that, we have another big singles match, as it is Ricochet versus Pac. Ricochet defeating Pac with a spinning head kick after 22 minutes and 42 seconds. And, okay, so you've been the person that's kind of been following this feud throughout the store, throughout uh, Dragon Gate USA, so I want you to take a point on this. Uh, what were your thoughts about this?
0: You know what's crazy? Look, I've talked at length, I think all of Ricochet's success can be credited towards Pac in 2011. I think this feud, I mean, you look at Ricochet at Final Gate 2010, when he wins his first Triangle Gate match in Japan, to Final Gate 2011, which we'll talk about after we're done breaking down Freedom Fight 2011, and his feud with Pac, which lasted, you know, five singles matches in 2011, three in Japan, two in Dragon at USA. This is, by two seconds, the longest match that they had together. They went 22-42 here. They went 22-40 in Osaka on a show that we'll talk about in just a minute. I think this is the weakest of their five matches.
2: Really? I actually was really high on this one.
0: I, I... Look, part of it was... It's weird to think that Pac and Ricochet did crowd brawling, but they did crowd brawling, yeah. and at one point, it looks like Ricochet kind of catwalks on a railing into a hurricane Rana, but the venue was so dark that I can't see it, so I can't judge it, and it was—I'm I- glad this match happened, because I think they worked out all of the kinks so that six days later in Osaka, they went on to have— arguably the best match of either man's career. That Pac-Ricochet match in Osaka number two is is uh, almost perfection four and three quarters. This is like a trial run for that match, and maybe it's because I knew what was coming literally six days from this show that had me down on this, but, you know, the first match in March in Cork and Hall, it's... 15 minutes of spots. I mean, it's, it's just a wild match, and I don't even really think we have the full version of it. I think we have a clipped-down no, version. No, we don't. That is, it's even more spots. It's unbelievable. They have a match in June that I think is super underrated because it's just violent. Like, those two worked a style of match that I, I don't think people would associate with Pac and Ricochet typically. They go to Chicago, and I love that Chicago match. It's 10 minutes. It's really compact and precise, and they nail everything they need to. I, I mean, look, I did not hate this match. I went three and a half on it. But given the standards of pac Ricochet, I mean, even the Chicago match, I went three and three quarters on. So it's not a letdown. It's just the weakest of their portfolio, I think.
2: That's fair. That's fair. I went four flat. I, I thought that it was, the things that was really hurt from this was one, you're absolutely right. Like they do like something that looked insane. The crowd was wrathing. wrath. the crowd, this was a really awesome crowd here. BB Kings did not have a bad crowd throughout its run so far. And this is the last
0: BB King show, so this is this is it because they're yeah. good. They're good for the United show. They are good for the anniversary show. They're great for Evolve nights, arguably the best Evolve crowd of that era. And then they're really good here.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like I could see like the tail end of it to Harris, but you can't really tell there. The other thing that really brought this match down was uh, the scene on commentary. They were just god awful. Uh, they started off on a really funny note because out of nowhere, uh, Caleb Conley says. I really like Pac because I like British humor. I love Ricky Gervais. And then <laughs> Lenny Leonard lets it breathe. Like, this is such a wild thing to say. To say, And then they just became, like, an active, like, detractment to this match and I, that day like this. But I thought that, like, the big story of, like, this feud is, like, I feel like that it was, like, Pac was always at this level, but it was Ricochet, like, finally, like, Reaching that level after all the pomp and circumstance, and doing little things like he does, like this, fa- they do like this face off of the chops where Ricochet was like, Oh, I'm gonna soul butt you. And then Pac keels over, and then Ricochet sits on him as he's kneeled over and does a pose. And I was like, All right, that owns. And then the idea of the, the finish being the spinning heel or being the spinning kick versus anything else, like he unloaded his arsenal, all he had left was to do a just a kick to the head. And I feel like that, that was a great, like, kind of exclamation point for it.
0: It's a really smartly worked match. Again, it's very different. It's closer to the Fukuoka match than the, the Spotfest in Chicago or the Spotfest in Cork and Hall. I think it's a, you know, if we're talking about DVD feuds like we've talked about on the weekly update shows with Kaido Ishida versus Kaisuke Akuda. I mean, this is a greatest hits album. Just anything Pac and Ricochet did that year in singles or tags. And this would be included. It's a very nice match in their overall story.
2: That's fair. That's fair. And then we go backstage. If it wasn't, and then we have DUF backstage, they say, if it wasn't for John Davis, DUF would be Tight team chance. They're flipping out about AR Fox, Sabu, and John Davis. Uh, I thought that, that out of DUF promos, I like this was a pretty effective one. It just wasn't really much going on there.
0: I have had no issues with the presentation of DUF up to this point. I like this promo.
2: Yeah. And then we had the Johnny Gargano video that we talked about ahead before time. This was really, really long. It talked about the, his turning points about the first show about Ronan, about tapping out Shima. This is, and as I said, I think this is well enough by having Johnny Gargano narrate it. I feel like detracted from it.
0: I would completely agree with that opinion, but it's nice to see Drangate USA at least put effort into the production once again, because I think that's a lot of, even by this point, I, I just felt like Atlanta and the June triple shot and the Midwest triple shot were so sparse on yeah. any sort of out-of-arena production, you know, anything besides a backstage promo that could quickly be shot and thrown onto an eye per view It's just nice to see the effort being put in with the Chuck Taylor promo the night before and then the Gargano narration tonight.
2: Oh, no, I absolutely agree with you on that. And that led us to the Open the Freedom Gate title match where Yamato fails in his seventh defense of the Open the Freedom Gate title. Giant Gargano wins with the Gargano escape in, six mi- in 26 minutes and 48 seconds to become the third Open the Freedom Gate champion. It's happened. Giant Gargano has now opened the Freedom Gate champion.
0: What are your overall thoughts on Yamato's reign? He wins the title in this building on United New York City, the third match on the show. He goes on to defend it against Austin Aries and probably his best match in the promotion. Uh, Akira Tozawa the next night, Yusushi Kanda in Cork and Corkin Hall. Pac on the second anniversary show, Shima in Chicago, and Chuck Taylor the night before before losing it. It's an impressive seven defenses in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and it's something where at United New York City, I feel like it was the best match of uh, of BB Hulk's Tile reign there. That was a match I went three and a half stars on. Uh, Austin Aries was that was like the match that was all that was so weird to watch in respect knowing what all happened afterwards. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll,
2: and I was like four flat, so I mean, still pretty high on it. The match of Tozawa was the one that we're like, this is happening after like the really bad farewell from Moxley, but uh, Tozawa blinders, four and a quarter stars. I'm just going through my notebook right now, if you haven't noticed. No, um, that's
0: fine with me, because to your point, just to let you catch your breath for a second, but Yamato's reign at least felt like a main event reign. I mean, right, uh, yeah. BB Hulk,
2: outside
0: of the Shingo match, It's, you know, it's a lame duck defense against Dragon Kid, it's a a defense against Doi that is fine, it's a uh, a defense against Yoshino that's fine, he wrestled Mochizuki in the mid-card on the first anniversary show, and then loses it, again, a match three to Yamato. Yamato at least felt like a proud fighting main event level champion.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then, like, he defeats Shima in a match that I was pretty down on, I went three and a half stars, and then the uh, final match against Chuck Taylor I thought was just overall pretty solid, I i went three and three quarters on it so it's definitively much better than bb hulk's reign i mean there's no giant eggs like that susumu match so there is that and it does feel like a main event title when the title really had an issue with that with uh bb hulk's reign and you know they picked the right person to win the title i think gargano with the way they built up here and how the crowd was recepting it and it's different it's a different reception than the uh the crowd in Philly was for Chuck Taylor, where Chuck Taylor was like, this is our guy This is going to do it. Gargano felt like an ace. Like Gargano felt like it was like, okay, we've done all this work preparing it. Now it's time to see how Gargano goes to the title. And I think that this completed what it needed to complete. And I feel like it was a success in that level.
0: This is a really interesting match. I, I have to say it felt like a big world title match. And that mm-hmm. is something that is I, I just don't think a match like this, regardless of Yamato being from Japan, I just don't think a match like this can happen in the current U.S. indie scene where it feels like the result of this match really, really mattered. And even if I had issues with the build to Gargano getting here, especially losing that Tozawa match still, I understand Gabe wanted, like, a built-in challenger for him, but that, ugh, I hate that result so much. Uh, I I have issues with the way they got there, but ultimately when the bell rang and those two were staring across from each other in the ring, I was like, okay, here we go, like, this is it, this is a big match, and this feels good. The ref bump and Chuck yeah. Taylor interference, so... Yamato's in the corner, referee's checking on him. It's it's actually, it's basically the inverse of a spot Yamato does now, where Gargano hits a corner dropkick, but Yamato pulls the referee uh, into the spot and Gargano dropkicks the referee instead. Chuck Taylor, or uh, Yamato low blows Gargano, they go through some offense. It looks like, I believe it was Yamato had a visual pin on Gargano. It might be the other way around. And then Chuck Taylor comes out with the belt. He goes to hit Yamato. Yamato ducks. He hits Johnny Gargano. Taylor rolls out of the ring, he kind of plays it off, like, oh, no, I didn't mean to do that, but it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't subtle, but it wasn't super effective in the way he did it either. Gargano kicks out of the belt shot, and then from there we go into the proper finish. I don't know, I feel like when Gargano hit the referee, the crowd kind of trolled it, and they're like, oh my god, come on, like, this is what we're doing with this match. Am I off base on thinking that?
2: Oh, no, the, the crowd was like, okay, and it was really just like... It, I don't want to say it's deflation, but trolled it is actually a good way to describe it. <laughs> you know, because the crowd's like, oh, this is what we're doing right now. We're, we're not saying, ta- this is how you're writing yourself out of here, Gabe. Like, it was very much like a smart crowd reaction, you know?
0: It, it's just, it's a shame. Like, I know I was reading Kevin Ford's review of the show, and Kevin said, he's like, look, I don't have a problem with it because Gate USA never does this. I would have hoped they would have continued to never do it. I, I mm-hmm. think this was it, it was, it was a deflating spot in a match that, you know, once, once Gargano kicks out of the belt shot, there's a moment here where, you know, Yamato hits a rolling elbow. Gargano hits a superplex or a super kick. He gets, uh, and then you know, Yamato no sells and hits a Galleria. And it's an unbelievable flurry of offense. I mean, it's so intense and so well timed. and kind of peak Dragon Gate style. And then by the end, you know, Gargano gets the win. He submits Yamato in the same building that he submitted Shima and Austin Aries, and it feels like a big moment. And despite some of the flaws in this match, there are flurries of of holy shit-worthy moments. I mean, the work in this match, at its best, is so good. By the end, Gargano feels like a worthy champion. I went four stars flat. I really do think, despite some of the issues I have with the execution, this is a truly great match.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that you also get... Yamato low-blowing during that whole, th- the whole heel bump, the whole ref bump thing, which is, like, Lenny did a great call of this, saying, like, oh, you know, Yamato is no longer a member of Kamikaze USA, but he is definitely someone that will still take a shortcut when it presents itself, and I feel like that that was a good cover for something that was completely against, like, Junction 3 character
0: <laughs> at the time. yeah. No, Li- so. Lenny Lenny was really good in this match. I mean, it's the ultimate... Uh, Lenny Leonard match because there's an intricate long-term story being told, and Lenny's able to get those points over while also highlighting the excellent wrestling that's taking place.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I went four stars flat. You kind of covered like my main points there, and it. The, the thing is, I wrote down before even the ref bump. This was a really well done cell fest that plays into the melodrama without being over the top.
0: It's what gargano's career should have looked like but when triple h and Shawn michaels produce all of your matches we get a far worse version of this
2: yeah no that's what that's good. news. but yeah four stars flat and for me if the show would have ended here this would have been maybe my personal favorite show in dg usa history just Mike, like looking we, at, yes go ahead uh especially like this promo afterwards like, should we get into oh the promo my God! Afterwards? This, this is
0: this what I want to talk about, Mike. This promo afterwards, I'm gonna cut you off again. Sorry, I told I cut you off. I told you to go ahead. I'm gonna cut you off again. <laughs> this promo afterwards, oh my God! I, we talked about the Eddie Kingston promo earlier and how you know we've all said we want to walk on our hands and knees to Philly to to be in support of Eddie Kingston in this match. Well, Johnny Gargano cuts the promo of his life, and he cuts it regarding at USA, the fans, and his work with Chuck Taylor was. Unbelievable! I'll let you explain it, and then I'll give my thoughts. But I, I was, oh my god, I was all in on Ronan after this promo.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was a moment where, like, Chuck was like Pia, was walking away with the belt afterwards. Ch- Gargano appealed to give him to the title. Rich came out and says that they are the number one tag team, and it plays up Chuck wanting to beat the Spike Mohican saying, hey, you get your hands on Shima after this. Y'all are the top tag team. You just defeated the other big Blood Warriors tag team you all should now really go over the United Titles. You'll finally get your hands on Shima. I know we all know how much you can get your hands on Shima, and Ricochet's his partner. We know your history of Ricochet, and know you'd like get your hands on him once again. And then they played it up there, Chuck hands over the title, teases a kick in the very Chuck Taylor fashion that no one believed that was actually going to be a super kick there, and very sheepishly then pulls him in for a hug. And Ronan is fine with three exclamation points.
0: I... I just loved this promo. Gargano, he's kind of, and this is before Taylor gives the belt back, Chuck Taylor's sulking in the entryway, you know, just kind of annoyed at everything that's happening. And Gargano says, you know, Chuck, if you really think Shima's holding you down, you know, you need to beat Shima for for the tag titles. And who's Shima's partner? It's Ricochet. It's the guy that torments you, the guy that you know best. You need to win the tag titles from Shima and Ricochet. And it's this moment of Ronin unity and arguably since their debut, the first time we as a unit of Gargano, Taylor, and Swan, where it feels so cohesive and I'm so into the story that's being told and they throw it all away with just nothing because I- I'm looking ahead just to make sure that I'm not wrong in this, but but the original plan for WrestleMania weekend 2012 was Shimon Ricochet defending the belts against Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano, not Chuck Taylor and Rich Swan. We never get another Taylor-Swan match after this built-in story. Now look, they're supposed to team together on Open the Golden Gate. That doesn't happen, and we'll talk about it next week. But to not get them, the Mania main event spot with Chuck Taylor fighting for everything he needs against the guy that's held him down in Japan and the guy that's outlasted and, and, and destroyed his career by the old merits of just his success, just ricocheting his lap Chuck Taylor to not get that match. I hate it so much. We'll have to watch the Miami shows to determine whether or not it's a Cardinal said. But for now, I'm going to stay positive because I think this Johnny Gargano promo of Ronan Unity and what is essentially a did-you-enjoy-the-show promo, just we have one more match coming later, but what is essentially the go-home promo. It is such a win for Johnny Gargano. He killed it in this scenario, and I have no qualms about him winning the title because he nailed the match, and he nailed this spot, and it is awesome.
2: Yeah, 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 and we'll have someone on with us to talk about these matches when we get to it. Uh, Then we have a DUF versus uh, Air Fox, Sabu, and John Davis video at this point i was kind of videoed out like i'm glad that he's actually that gabe and the promotions actually like putting some force on putting the videos here but this is after a long match the before that I had like another 5 minute video this was like a 5 minute video and there were other videos throughout this show that at this point i was like all right i get it gabe you love sabu so much that you're putting this around this for that and it just was kind of necessary in my opinion
0: share the wealth a little bit maybe spread these video packages out
2: give uha one we want to see him cut a promo about being the one man nation under God with liberty and justice for no man.
0: Oh my God! I look, I hate tattoos. I am sick of people my age getting tattoos because they all suck. But I might get that Uha Nation tattoo promo or that that Uha Nation promo tattooed on me. What? I just a nice back piece you know something that ink master would approve of. Oh my god, I love that promo so much. And you, would, uh, you know, Uha is featured on the show, but not as much as he could have been. What a waste of a weekend for Uha Nation.
2: You would certainly be living moss if he did that.
0: <laughs> I I uh, tattoos on young people. We got you got to be 30 before you can get a tattoo, and even then it's like a 30 to like 35 window and anything else after that is weird cuz then it kind of you kind of get into midlife crisis territory. But these young people and their tattoos—it's a problem, Mike. I don't like it at all.
2: I have said before that I have two tattoos, and they're both bad tattoos that I got before the age of thirty. So you're not wrong. You're it's not like, wrong what
0: I, there. What am I going to get, like a Pacers logo and Morrissey's head? Like I don't like anything enough to to have it permanently inked on me.
2: All right, there, Gathard, calm down. <laughs> all right and that end that gives us to the main event the extreme warfare six-man tag team match the duf of eric cannon pinky sanchez and Sammy callahan defeat the uh, uh the uh, put together team of air fox john davis and sabu when when air fox gets hit over the head with a beer bottle by uh by eric cannon gets the win in 26 minutes and 14 seconds and this is not the worst match in the company's history but boy did it was it a match that at a certain point I was looking at at how much was left on the disc and going like, Okay, okay, we're still doing this, we're still doing this, okay, okay, okay. And it just happened. This match happened, Case. It happened. I know you are a little bit more virulent about it, so go right ahead.
0: No, 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 no. I look, you're right. It's not I don't think it's close to the worst match in Dragon USA history. It's not the worst Sabu match, and I thought everything Homicide did was worse than what Sabu did. I mean, this is it's The frustrating thing about this match is it's like if B.J. Whitmer and Dan Moff versus the Carnage Crew headline Final Battle 2004, or if Brent Albright and Jimmy Jacobs versus Colt Cabana and B.J. Whitmer headline Final Battle 2006, or if, a a more apt example, if the Hangman 3 of Adam Pearce, B.J. Whitmer, and Brent Albright against Kevin Steen, El Generico, and Delirious headlined Undeniable 2007, which is the show where Nigel won the belt from Murashima, it would be like if those matches headlined this show. And it's so frustrating, because there's no reason this match couldn't have gone after uh, Shima versus Yoshino, and then just slide everything else down and have the show end with that Gargano promo. There's no need for this match to be the main event, especially because I'm assuming this show had an intermission, So there's your cleanup time right there. It's, I mean, look, I didn't like this match. It really, it took so long to get going. There's some great spots towards the end, but it was just such a slug to get through. But the placement of it is indefensible. I cannot believe they headlined with this match and Gabe on commentary did not help.
2: Oh no, Gabe was terrible on commentary. This was not any Jimmy Bauer. He was like, I had to sit here. And they actually acknowledged Gabe Sapolsky for once because he's a Sabu and he, And then he mentioned that he ran the Sabu fan club and everything made sense.
0: Oh, God, no, completely. I mean, it's look, this whole angle is what Gabe wanted to do because Gabe liked him. Now, look, I get it. You know, it's, you know, if I was running a promotion and Roderick Strong became available, the focal point of my promotion is Roderick Strong Dream Matches. I understand Gabe wants to book people that he likes, but I look, I'm amazed that he didn't pivot away from Sabu to another ECW guy after the Midwest weekend. The fact that it continued through this weekend and will continue in the future is really hard to stomach.
2: Oh, no, absolutely so. It's one of those things that it's— I'll have a story about about WrestleMania weekend about how I did not watch one of his matches live. So,
1: it's
2: it's indefensible. And this match, you need picture-in-picture to see a lot of it because— because, like, the camera's always on Sabu, so you're not seeing what, what John Davis and A.R. Fox are doing, which arguably, I mean, again, everything makes sense now knowing that Gabe ran the fan club, and just because, like, he's, like, the least interesting person in this match, and you get to see that.
0: <laughs> That's the That's thing. thing.
2: Sabu sucks in this
0: match. If it was Callahan and Cannon... Versus Fox and John Davis. This match probably rules. Because. Oh yeah. There's a really special chemistry with AR Fox and Sammy Callahan. That is on display in this match. I mean Callahan. He hits an exploder suplex off the stage through a barricade And that, that A.R. Fox goes over. And then he power bombs A.R. Fox from the ring to a barricade on the outside. Like, they, they beat the shit out of each other, and it was great. The issue is that Sabu is in this match, and he's so slow. And there's a moment towards the finish where Eric Cannon's on a table and Sabu hits a leg drop, and you go, great, that's the finish, Sabu wins, the, the Northeast people go home happy. And then Sabu didn't pin him. And that was when I was like, oh my god, this match needs to end, like, this is not okay. And it's all because Sabu sucked in this match.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something where it's just like this, and, like, the big spots I always had on screen was them going through a bunch of forks. Like, they probably used about a good dozen forks in this match. Right, like just an insane amount of forks, and then the barricade, like going through the barricade, is by far the most insane thing, and it was just nuts to see, and it doesn't have Sabu on it whatsoever. Like you, like watch the video package for this match of Sabu almost botching his his leap to the outside after like the, this crazy stuff there, and you're going like, huh, okay. If you're someone who does not have ECW nostalgia glasses. There's, and I don't, which I don't I, e- I don't.
0: I want to eradicate ECW from I- anything post two thousand one. I I hate ECW nostalgia.
2: But like us not having these glasses, you see this, and you see like all the crazy stuff that's happening. You're like, this old guy sucks. And, and I think Sabu was one of the more important wrestlers of his generation because of who he influenced and what he was doing in his, in his style years before anyone else. Like I think Sabu has his place in wrestling history and should be celebrated for said history but that being said active detractment in the feud a match that should not have been the main event especially over a match that right before it you crown your american ace it's taken them almost two and a half years to have an ace of the promotion that is someone that they know they can trust to do everything like this they are not dealing with a lot of politics about you have all this and you're not have it, and you have this as your main event
0: It's so unlike Gabe, because this, like, Gabe nailed the execution of Gargano versus Yamato. That is, him as a booker, that is where he shines. And he ruined it by having, you know, Gargano-Yamato goes 26-48. This match goes 26-14. Even if this match takes 13 minutes, it's a much better match. But 26 minutes for a Sabu brawl in 2011.
2: It's just, it's just infuriating. It's infuriating. So, it and the finish of just breaking a beer bottle so anticlimactic as well. After you see someone go through a fucking barricade, like through a steel barricade to the floor, that's your finish is a beer bottle shot to the head. That's it. That's finish. That's your final... That, that, that's your finish of your last show in this venue, which I did not know until you said this because I thought they saw a show in 2012 here. Nope, this is it. You're closing it out. You're talking about BB Kings with a beer bottle shot to the head and then a promo from Sammy Callahan saying that DUF is taking over in 2020 and that they're drinking. And if you're willing to drink with them, then you're a DUF as well. That's how they ended the show. That's how they ended 2011. I still,
0: I still have zero issues with the DUF. I still think their presentation is actually very good. I just hate that they're wrestling Sabu.
2: And maybe maybe it's something that, like, the Sabu thing has bled over in my mind to DUF because they have not been bad. But this was just egregious. It's the only it's egregious like fan service is someone that you're obsessed with almost 20 years ago <laughs> almost 20 years ago this it, if this is 1994 sabu and this promotion i people who's promoting makes sense but this is someone going like hey i'm a super big fan of you would you book Roderick strong and 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 low pro wrestling in 2032 or 2042
0: Uh, The difference is that Roddy will still be in better shape than anybody else on the roster, but I I understand what you're saying, so the answer is no.
2: It's just, I can't imagine, like, after the show, all the Dragon Gate people going back to Japan before the show that they were going to have in Osaka in six days going, that was a great use of our time and resources to let someone basically live out his teenage fantasy.
0: Your star rating for this match, Mike?
2: Did not rate it, not rating.
0: Fair enough. Two was- and three quarters for me and a disappointing way to close the books on Dragon Gate USA in 2011. The,
2: the biggest year in the company is history. Ended with Sabu.
0: With that in mind, let's close out. We're going to quickly go over four different ch- cars from Dragon Gate Japan and the stuff that mattered on those shows. If that's yep. okay with you, Mike, you ready to move on?
2: Yep, let's do it.
0: Let's go to Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium Number 2, November 19th. Mike, the matches that matter here. I would argue two of the more infamous matches in Dragon Gate history is the Open the Triangle Gate match with KZ Tanazaki and Doi against Gamma, Chihiro, Tamanaga, and Sachi Hoko Machine, one of the all-time great Tellin' Stories matches. Uh, no promotion can even attempt to capture the magic that was uh, caught in a bottle in this match. And then your main event ricochet defeats Pac finally for the open the brave gate title in a four and three quarter star match and if i'm right
2: the episode of infinity is just these two matches yeah it's
0: <laughs> it's the best hour and a half of wrestling you'll ever see it's a, it's an all-time infinity episode
2: it's an all-time infinity episode we talked at length about the career of Ch- punch Homanaga on a weekly update go back and listen to that if you want the votes there and then yeah you already talked about it earlier like this is the capping of the year like Dragon Gate's, like, last six weeks of 2011, they did such an interesting job of tying up the loose ends, getting everything into place for how everything was going to explode over the next three months.
0: So much makes tape in October, November, and December of 2011. I mean, we could do an entire episode on just those shows, but they're on just the- Just looking
2: at the cards and talking about them, we could.
0: Yeah, it's because it's really, like, a lot of the hype goes to the summer months, and rightfully so, those were incredible. But there's just so much that aired- at the end of 2011, that it's, it's marvelous. And we're only speeding through these because we want to have a fresh slate for 2012. And these are at the back end of the show. So we'll move on to Shinkaba first ring, November 30th, 2011, the blood warriors, independent performance, first blood show. I will read down this full card because this show is a ton of fun. Mike, things kick off with a 59 second Ricky Fuji versus metal warrior match. From there we go to the <laughs> X-Law international title match. X-Law, a lucha promotion that booked the T2P guys during their time in Mexico. El Samurai, their champion, defeats Tomahawk TT. We have the Uha Nation Japanese landing. He defeats Kotoka in a minute and 30 seconds. Blood Warriors of Horiguchi and Saito, they defeat T- uh, Takuya Sugawara in Yasushi Kondo. The sleaziest match possible, open the triangle gate match. Kz, Naoki Tanizaki, and Naruki Doi they defeat Fujita, Nozawa, Wrong Guy, and Kikuzawa. The Kikutaru Here tribute act go. of that night.
2: <laughs> well, uh, Kikutaru no, no, himself. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. I was I I I didn't want to pull a Lanza there. No, no, so no, you no. Here you me. are.
0: You are good, my friend. And then your main event: Spike Mohicans defeat Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk to retain the Open the Twin Gate titles in a Blood Warriors versus Blood Warriors match.
2: Yeah, this was really cool. Like, they did do, like, a World 1 proto show that I feel like we've talked about before. But this was, like, a really, like, neat thing that they did. That They didn't do too many of these kind of shows. Like, sadly, like, there was no Be My Friend Till The End show for Best Friends. There was no Mad Blanky Black and Yellow show. But this was just, like, a really, like, wild thing that just, like, like, nothing on this show other than the matches that mattered got any time whatsoever. But it was just, like, a good time. And you had El Samurai. That show, that show that
0: show aired on Samurai TV. It's out there. I've seen it before. It's been years since I've seen it, but it was a very fun show when it aired. Yeah.
2: Yeah, sadly, this is their only this is the first blood in their only blood. There would not be another one of these shows, sadly.
0: Indeed. From there we go to Cork and Hall, December first, twenty eleven, a show that in the opener featured Tanazaki Kanda and Uha Nation defeating Gamma, Rich Swan, and Don Fuji. Dragon Kid and Shingo Takagi defeated Kaz and Naruki Doi. That match sounds like a lot of fun. Singles match, 15 minutes. Yamato defeats Cyber Kong. And then the stuff on the car that mattered. Pac and Prince Devitt teamed up to wrestle Genki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito. Shima and Ricochet defeated Masaki Mochizuki and Masato Yoshino. Now, Mike, I believe after Ricochet won the Brave Gate title and after they defended them on the Blood Warriors show, they vanquished... The twin right. Gate titles to focus on their singles titles. That is correct, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a thing saying like, now Ricochet is the top, uh, uh, Brave wrestler, and Shima was announced going for the open the Brave Gate, open the Dreamgate titles. So was like we are going to focus on this. You all have been the, the new top tag team, so you all, they, they. I think they tried to give them the belts, and then Yagi said, no, no, we can't do that. And then it was like, that's your top team. Who's going to go against them? In Junction Three, and then Kakatora and Suzumi Yokosuka exactly. raised their hands. Exactly great match like really like these like last three matches on the show like do you, there was like a time in 2011 where people were looking like what's up with prince seven because you remember we talked about the wrestling retribution project that he was supposed to be on him showing up here as well and it was like a big thing as well like who were like is he gonna jump because like you have to think about 2011 that's not like a step down for that's not a huge step down for where new japan was in in late 2011 to dragon gate was like that was like a legitimate like piece of discourse that went around for a little bit.
0: No, it's not it, true at all. No. well, at that point he had been you know, a juniors champion, a best of the super junior winner. Uh, Apollo fifty five was an established team for years at that point. I mean, there wasn't a ton of upward trajectory until the the heel turn of 2013 which we will discuss in depth when it happens but it yeah it was a, a logical conclusion to make that maybe Devitt was finishing up in new japan at the time and then just to reiterate the main event 24 hours after losing a twin gate challenge match tozawa and hulk beat Kagator and susumu to win the vacant open the twin gate titles
2: and this would be the first match on the on the team that would be later known as the Jimmies. I haven't been able to say that for a while. <laughs> it's It's been like almost like three months I've been able to say we would later refer to this as this. Yes, I'm I'm excited. I got to say the thing. I got to say my catchphrase. That, that, so, that's a terrible catchphrase. All uh, right, it's, you
0: know, look, we'll workshop it. It's okay though. So there's, there's <laughs> another Cork and Hall show in December of 2011. It's the Fan Appreciation Show. Nothing really of note happens there. So for the sake of time, we're going to move to Final Gate 2011, Christmas Day 2011 fukuoka japan one of the biggest shows uh, probably they've ever had i mean non kobe world yeah this might be the biggest pay-per-view they
2: had is it, it did, do you have that feeling as well it's definitely like other than the 2016 one with the doi and yamada where it felt like that doi was coming in so hot that doi could have been champion mm. you know but i mean even like that given the time you have this main event here you have Kensuke Sasaki showing up here you have yeah you, you have the team that would be called Yokosuka Chome the facing off against maraha Isapa just as like the first real match on the show and then like you look at all the title matches here these are big title matches and these are and I know you rewatch Shima versus Mochizuki but I remember a lot of these matches holding up very well
0: yeah, so the show starts off with uh, Blood Warriors of tomahawk TT, Yasushi Kanda, and Uha Nation. They defeat Don Fuji, Kotoka, and Super Shenlong. Kagator and Susumu defeated Horaguchi and Saito, as Mike mentioned. There is a five-minute singles match between Kensuke Sasaki and Cyber Kong. I know on the iHeartDG archives, J lamented the fact that they were bringing in Sasaki and uh, the native crowd, from what I remember and from what Jay wrote, were not into this match. But things pick up from there. Triangle Gate Match, uh, KZ, Tanazaki and Doi defeat Dragon Kid, Gamma, and Rich Swan. Open the Brave Gate Match, Ricochet defends over Masato Yoshino. Open the Twin Gate Match, Tozawa and Hulk defeat Shingo and Yamato to retain the Twin Gate Belts. I would like to rewatch that. I remember that not clicking with me the first time I watched it, but I also felt that way about the Open the Dreamgate match where Shima, after 12 months of build, finally defeats Masaki Mochizuki to win the Dreamgate title. Mike, I've said on this show before, I'm not into this match. I don't get it. It's a disappointment to end the feud. I rewatched this during my lunch today. And I'm happy to say I was incorrect. This match kicks ass. It's a four and a half star match. Shima is unbelievably great in this match, and I don't know what I was watching prior that made me think otherwise.
2: There's a reason why us old heads were saying like this is this was the best Shima match. Like everything here clicked. It's either that or the hair match against him, or the uh, Takagi match that happened much later. But yeah, no, this is like the big like summation. Like if y'all people who weren't around then and haven't. Like had an opportunity to catch up with this kind of stuff if you've ever seen the photo of all of blood warriors with all the titles it comes from right after this match because they have the triangle gate they have the brave gate they have the twin gate they have the dream gate they have the united gate and someone has the uh, someone on blood warriors has the war gate and they're all posing with all the belts and this is like blood warriors reign supreme this is also i believe there's a clip also that went around like Shima, like addressing people in the snow and then crowd surfing. Do you remember that clip?
0: Oh my God. That's the best. I completely forgot about that.
2: I be- no, no, that happened the next year. That's my bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause that would have made the broadcast. And I, I didn't, I I closed out of it obviously cause I didn't need to watch the post-match promo this time around, but yeah, that, <laughs> that rules. We'll have to upload that when we get to that in the timeline, but that is the end of Dragon Gate proper in 2011. Mike, We've done all of Dragon Gate USA in 2011. I've rewatched a ton of Dragon Gate proper in 2011. It's probably the best year top to bottom in the promotions history. And we will head into 2012 and open the Golden Gate 2012 with Johnny Gargano as your Open the Freedom Gate champion shima and ricochet as your open the united gate champions your dream gate champion is shima your brave gate champion is ricochet your twin gate champions are bb hulk and akira tozawa and your triangle gate champions are kezi naruki doi and naoki tanazaki
2: it is a blood warrior heavy time but things are going to get a lot more interesting before and after this next weekend of shows they have as we are now pretty much full steam ahead this is episode 28 we'll be back with episode 29 and entering 2012 there is something that we will talk about next show that changes DGUSA and evolve a lot uh, uh, I feel yes. we should leave on that tease
0: absolutely we'll... uh, just uh, the landscape of the Gabe Sapolsky promotions is about to change drastically and Mike before we get out of here would you like to hear the open the golden gate card
2: uh, yes but I wanted to ca- toss in Naruki Doy's catchphrase there are things that we have seen that would backstage that would blow your mind <laughs> there, great, great catchphrase. He doesn't use that much anymore. Like, the winds of change are coming. That there's things that that I've seen that will blow your mind. That's a great line.
0: That's really solid. Well, it's solid. Like this entire Golden Gate show, which will have the Dragon USA debut of Loki. In the opener against BB Hulk, we will see the Young Bucks make their return to the promotion against Chuck Taylor and Scorpio Sky, and there is a lot to come on that match next week that we will explain. Naruki Doi versus Masato Yoshino, a tables match with Sammy Callahan and AR Fox, John Davis versus uh, Caleb Conley, and uh, of the scene with Larry Dallas at ringside. Pac versus Akira Tozawa in a rematch of Mercury Rising 2011. And your main event, open the United Gate title match, Shimo and Ricochet against Masaki Mochizuki and Jimmy Susumo.
2: Boy, that is an interesting thing. And I mean, just like an interesting weekend as we start talking about Russell Reunion, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that. Well, have some PWG notes from the night before, because it's the night before with uh, Kurt Russell Union too, right?
0: Indeed. Kurt Russell Reunion yep. 3.
2: I forget they have like their r- really dipshit numbering thing that they like skipping numbers. No, that's, no, that's no, no. Me. They
0: did. They did three of those shows.
2: Okay, so so, so that's just me being dumb. Okay, <laughs> I'm a, I'm much more happy with that. In shots
0: fired at Super Dragon for no reason.
2: Well, well, I mean, justified shots, but not at this case. Yeah, fair no, enough. Not in fair not in this case, but but yeah, th- that's really about that. Th- that's really it for us here tonight. Thank you all again for listening and sticking with us through a very. Up and down and left and right and inside out and just twist it all up. Twenty or twenty twelve? I almost said twenty twenty. That, that that's what that's what this this year of of DGSA has done with me. I'm forgetting time. I feel like a well, time traveler. You said twenty twelve. What you meant was twenty eleven. Yeah. See, <laughs> twisted me up, case. Twisted me all up here, and that's gonna do it. Thank you all for listening to rewind and rewatch. We'll be back with you next week as we start with twenty twelve in DGUSA. So for case, I'm Mike Take care.